0: From KVLU Public Radio in Beaumont, Texas, this is Bayou Lands Talks, a companion podcast where we're sharing some of our favorite conversations with a wide range of guests that we've interviewed for the KVLU radio documentary series, Bayou Lands, a program exploring the people and places of Southeast Texas since 2016. I'm Shannon Harris. For this episode, we're sharing an interview I did back in 2018 with Elena Inman, the manager of the Sam Houston Regional Library and Research Center in Liberty, Texas. We hope you enjoy. This is an amazing facility, by the way. As I drove up, it was really impressive how many buildings total.
1: We have six here on the property, and then we have one in the Town of Liberty. So we have four historic buildings that people can tour, our main building, which holds a research library and a a museum gallery, and then also the Gene and Price Daniel Home and Archives, which is a modern construction, but with historical significance because it's patterned after the governor's mansion in Austin.
0: So several historical structures that were moved to this particular location. Yes. Yes. Before we get into sort of the meat of what you do here, what is the mission of the Regional Library?
1: Well, we're part of the Texas State Library and Archives Commission, which is, of course, the state government agency that's charged with preserving and making available the historic records of Texas. TSLAC has what is called the Regional Historical Resource Depository System, uh, known basically, is the RHRDs. Uh, What an RHRD does is it's in a region for a set number of counties and the purpose is to take in local government records that have what in the field is referred to as permanent retention. That means for whatever reason they've been designated that they can never be destroyed. They're important for historic purposes, for people to know what their government does. So if a local government uh, no longer wants to retain those records themselves, maybe they don't have enough space or the right climate conditions conditions, then they go to the designated RHRD for that county. Uh, Most of the RHRDs are in universities or libraries. We're actually the only RHRD that the state actually owns, so we are a state government facility. So we preserve the local government records, but here we also take in private records, uh, and three-dimensional artifacts for 10 counties. We serve Southeast Texas, so we serve the counties of San Jacinto, Polk, Tyler, Jasper, Newton, Chambers, Hardin, Orange, Liberty, and Jefferson.
0: Okay, so right now we're standing in what will be a, a brand new exhibition. Yes. I'm assuming on the history of Southeast Texas.
1: That's correct. What we have done is we have completely uh, renovated and redone the museum here at the facility. So it is uh, an exhibit that is going to tell people basically the history of the Atascacita District. The Atascacita District was the governing area under the Spanish and on into uh, Mexican governance. Uh, It's an area in Southeast Texas on which the 10 counties we serve are based. So the 10 counties we serve were all actually part of the historic Atascacita District. So we've all kind of been kept together. Um, So we're telling the story of the uh, historic Atascosita District, so basically the history of Southeast Texas from 13,000 years ago to pretty much the modern era uh, in this one room. So um, you get a little taste of everything so that you can come in here, and by the time you leave, you know basically all of the basics you need to know for our region.
0: Okay, so let's walk around a little bit. Sure. And so all of the objects in the exhibition are from your collection?
1: They are uh, from our collection or from the collection in Austin. So our main facility in Austin houses a lot of records also, and so some of their records that relate to Southeast Texas have been brought here so that the people in the region can see them without going uh, to Austin. So everything is from Slack's collection, even if It's not necessarily from here, but most of it is part of the collection here in
0: Liberty. Great. Now, when was this opened, the the library? The
1: library was dedicated in May 1977, so it's 40 years old.
0: And you were telling me that that was a project of Price Daniel.
1: Uh, Correct. Uh, Governor Price Daniel, he's most known for being governor, but he held more elected and appointed positions than anyone in Texas. He and his wife were very instrumental uh, in getting the RHRD system kicked off. Um, It wasn't necessarily when he was governor, obviously, but he remained very involved in state government. He was one of the commissioners for TSLAC, in fact. So they donated the land that the center is built on and helped raise the funds for this facility. Uh, although many people in the area donated uh, funding and helped make it possible. But yes, they uh, were very instrumental in getting it started. A lot of our collection items, in fact, are donated from the family, uh, especially the ones related to Sam Houston, because Jean Daniel Price's wife was a descendant of Sam Houston.
0: All right, so we're starting out. I see some Indian artifacts here. So give us an overview of where we're starting in this exhibition? Sure.
1: Um, As I mentioned, we start pretty much from the very beginning, which would have been about 13,000 years ago. One of the first cases you see has several stone artifacts in it, points, blades. These are from what's referred to uh, as the Clovis people. In fact, two of the broken points that you see, um, they're the first recorded Clovis items found in Liberty County. We have a very extensive uh, collection, the Andy Kyle Archaeological Collection that has uh, well over 10,000 items in it upon which this section is based. So the Houston Archaeological Society donated uh, hundreds, perhaps thousands of hours to going through that collection and helping us identify the points. And so they discovered within there these Uh, Clovis items, which we didn't even realize we had. Uh, So that took um, human presence for Liberty County back thousands of years farther uh, than anyone had recorded yet. So you'll see those items as you first come in, along with points um, and scrapers and various other tools from later periods of Native American um, inhabitancy as well. What we've really tried to do is build a modern museum for the area so that there's audio-visual things, there's things you can touch, um, there's things you can do, there's uh, an audio station where you can listen to an excerpt of someone talking about somebody trying to escape from one of the German prisoner of war camps in this area so we've tried to make it interesting to all ages to include items from all of our counties not just Liberty County where we're located so there's something here basically for everybody
0: all right so let's come on down here I, you know we could be here for hours Sure, because <laughs> there's that's there's the so idea much. <laughs> yes absolutely So fast forward in history and tell us a little bit about this area here.
1: Well, uh, when you're not talking about prehistory or Native American inhabitants, of course, we were first uh, under Spain. Um, So the next section you would go to is the Spanish era. The first um, settlement in our area was Orca Cusack around 1756. So you'll see some items related to it uh, that were found in archaeological digs, uh, along with other items from the Spanish period. It was also during this time that the Alabama and Cushada tribes came into this area. And of course, most people are probably familiar with the Alabama Cushata reservation in our area.
0: Why did the Cushata come here? Well, most
1: of the Native American tribes were moving out of their areas due to Anglo, you know, immigration Mm -hmm. um, and moving west. So uh, the Alabama and Cushata at that time were two completely separate tribes, but they were being pushed out of their homeland near the Alabama River uh, as English colonists moved in. So you'll see a couple items that uh, we've been provided um, from the Alabama Kushata tribes um, of items that they have made. Uh, there also, during this period, was a French settlement for a short period. You know, it, it's not like it was today where there were people everywhere. You know, I mean, another country could come in and, and Spain would not necessarily know right away. Right. So uh, General Charles Lallemand, a Napoleon supporter, He actually brought some colonists here, had a settlement called Shadazil, um, their plan, basically, was to eventually bring Napoleon over here and start a new Napoleonic empire. Uh, but that, that didn't work out. They only made it about uh, six months before Spain kind of figured out they were here and they were running out of food. And uh, Jean Lafitte, the pirate that operated in the Gulf Coast, um, kind of helped them get out of the area. So. But that's uh, the section on the Spanish period. After that, you move into the period of Mexican governance and the Anglo immigration. Uh, Mexico got their independence in 1821. They were a little more open to people coming um, from the east, Anglo immigrants, into this area. So that's where you begin to see a lot of the, you know, local names, early settlers that people would recognize coming into the area. And the population really begins to rise. It was in that time that it went from the Itascacita District to the Libertad District, uh, Liberty Basically, those Anglo settlers voted on where they wanted the government to be, uh, and they chose chose Liberty. So you'll see some items related to that.
0: Cool. All right. So there's a lot of historical documents in this exhibit, and Mm -hmm. these are original documents. I mean, how did you go about selecting the documents that are on display? Because I'm sure that you have quite a few.
1: Yes, uh, we have 12,000 cubic feet of records and artifacts. An easy way for people to visualize that is if you stretched uh, everything out, it would run for about 55 football fields. So there was a lot to choose from. Um, What we tried to do was locate within our collection the items that pertain to kind of basic story uh, of our area. We started with the story first uh, for this. Like if um, there's a major event like the Anahuac disturbances, for example, prior to the Texas Revolution, um, actually in the Anawak area, there was already some conflict. So obviously that's a big story for our area. So our, we went to our collections seeing what we had related to that story in that period of time. Um, but this exhibit, although the exhibit itself is permanent. The subject in the storyline will stay the same because we do have other things for people to see related to this. The objects will rotate in and out.
0: So it's packed though with. Yes. Artifacts. Um, We had such a
1: large story to tell. We were trying to go You know, from so far in the past all the way up to the modern era, that we did build new walls in the middle um, and hire uh, a company to help us design it so that we could really maximize the space. Um, We cover uh, steamboats. They went up the various rivers in this area. As everybody knows, water, water is is a big deal for us here in Southeast Texas. We have it when a lot of people don't. So we cover the steamboats. Um, we cover slavery in the area. A lot of people think, well, it wasn't that big in this area. You know, there weren't cotton plantations. Actually, that's not the case. Uh, one in three households owned at least one slave really? in Southeast Texas. So we uh, we cover that. Um, Also a very interesting story. The Republic of Texas um, passed um, a law that free blacks in the republic had to leave the republic or they would become enslaved. There was actually a prominent uh, free black family, the Ashworths in Jefferson County, that There was a petition for them to be able to stay that their various neighbors supported. And so the Ashworth Act was passed saying that free blacks that were here prior to it becoming a republic could stay. And it's known as the Ashworth Act. And it's the one hanging on the wall right there. That's the original Ashworth Act.
0: That's incredible. Mm -hmm. And obviously the role of Texas in, in the Civil War, it looks like.
1: Yeah, um We cover the Civil War. We actually have a lot of materials related to the Civil War. Uh, Captain William Duncan of Spates Battalion, his family kept uh, almost everything related to their family history. One of the historic buildings we have on the property, our oldest building, in fact, 1848, is the Gillard Duncan House. So they kept the home, the furniture, the papers, the artifacts. So it, it's really cool. Since he did serve in the Civil War, we're able to pull a lot um, from his collection. We have the correspondence between he and his wife, Um, so you see... Him being concerned that the area might be invaded uh, with her here, but that he knew she would be brave. You know, you really get to see all of those personal stories. Someone wrote him during that time that they had heard their husband was killed trying to find out if their husband uh, was alive. So a lot of home front stories. Uh, we also have the flag for Spates Battalion. In fact, uh, that he saved and the family saved, but. Uh, A lot of people don't realize not everyone necessarily in the area was Confederate. So you'll see um, the story of some of the people on the other side as well.
0: So you mentioned one of the historical structures um, and folks can tour those buildings?
1: They can. Um, We need advance notice if anyone wants to tour the historic buildings so that we make sure we have somebody available to guide them. But we have two uh, historic homes on the property that can be toured. Uh, You can tour the Daniel Home, uh, which I mentioned earlier, is patterned after the Governor's Mansion, and we use it for special events. There's also St. Stephen's Episcopal Church uh, that was here in Liberty. Um, It was used for almost 100 years from the uh, 1800s till about uh, 1990, something something like that. Um, It's here on the property and also the whole Rotary building built about 1930. As far as we know, uh, it is the only building that's ever been built and owned by a rotary club Uh, most rotary groups now you know they're not allowed to own property they you know meet at a restaurant or whatnot but at that time uh, the Rotarians and their wives the Rotary Ann's because it was an an all-men group uh, they raised money to build that facility for themselves and then the community of Hull would use it for dances and and birthdays and whatnot so it's here um, on the side and, and you're able to tour all of those.
0: And I'm assuming that you have school groups that come through. I mean, you're off the beaten path. So, sure. you know, it's not like you're in a big city or you're not even in a small city. <laughs> sure. You know, and it, it's a drive out here and it's well worth it. It's amazing. But I guess my question is who is your typical audience and um, what efforts do you make to? draw them Mm -hmm. here? Um, Our typical
1: audience are historians and genealogists who are coming to do research within the collection. Uh, We do have some school groups who will come and tour the historic buildings, uh, you know, spend half a day or whatnot kind of going throughout the entire property. They'll tour our stacks where we uh, store all of the records and, of course, come into the museum. Um, I've been manager here for about six years. So, the facility is 40 years old. There was a lot of maintenance that was needed, a lot of updates that were needed. So, we've really been focusing on the past few years on things like renovating this museum Mm -hmm. so it has more of the audiovisual and touchables for people to enjoy. We are about to start a lot of work on the historic buildings, and as we complete these projects, we will be cranking up the outreach to let people know, like, okay, now, now's the time, you know, you, right. you, to come see us. Because I've been fascinated since I've been here about how few people do know that the facility exists. Now, if you're a historian, if you're a genealogist, you definitely know and you love the facility because we have so much. But the general public, you know, I'll tell people where I work and most people are like, huh? Uh, In fact, I grew up in Newton County, born in Beaumont and and raised in Newton. And I worked for the Missouri State Archives. um, And the state archivist of Texas, who knew that I was from this area, we'd worked together before, called to let me know there was a a job opening. And she was like, well, you definitely know, I mean, what the Sam Houston Regional Library and Research Center is. And I'm on the phone thinking, no, no, I don't. What are you talking about? (laughs) Like Googling it. You know, I mean, I I was from Newton County and I didn't know. um, And I'm even in the field. So we're very excited to have the museum near completion and to be able to begin kind of pushing, letting people know, this is something that you need to come see that's available for you to learn, you know, who, who you are, as someone from Southeast Texas to show people outside of our region why Southeast Texas is important.
0: Yes. Agree. All right. So we're entering a new room here. What is this structure here? Obviously, that, we're, we're talking yes, about oil. <laughs> right. That
1: uh, is the bottom of an oil derrick uh, that, that we have built, um, just frankly, because it looks cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, we kind of stepped into the modern era, uh, getting into all of the industries that have had such an impact. Uh, on Southeast Texas. So obviously, oil, the first thing that catches your eye is the massive oil derrick. Um, That section, of course, goes into Spindletop that we're all familiar with, but also some of the oil fields that came after that, you know, Sour Lake, One in Liberty, um, images from the period, promotional items from companies. Uh, This area also covers timber, So you can see the various timber artifacts, uh, saws and whatnot, uh, a video that shows you what the timber industry was like in the beginning when, you know, they had to float the logs down the river. Um, Also, the rice industry, a lot of people don't realize that there were a lot of, you know, immigrants, Japanese, Dutch coming into the area to work in the rice fields.
0: And just driving here to the mm-hmm. library, the silos are mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to get out of my car and take some are Right, classes.
1: right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's one advantage. You know, being in something of a rural area, we don't necessarily have the foot traffic of a museum in Beaumont or Houston. But it's a very nice day trip, you know, to take those nice drives, to see the countryside, to uh, eat at the local restaurants and, and whatnot. Um, Also in the modern era, of course, you have a lot of social history, uh, women's suffrage, the civil rights movement. So we have items on display regarding that. Uh, For example, we have some women's registration receipts uh, before. All American women could vote. Texas women could actually vote in primary elections, uh, effective June 28, 1918. So you'll see a registration receipt where basically the next day, women in Newton County turned out in force to register to vote. Wow. So that kind of conveys the importance um, for groups who did not have the ability to vote before, how important it was to them, how quickly, you know, they went to vote. And so a lot of these things, you know, people think the past doesn't matter, but they can be applied to issues today. You know, you can look at that and see so many of us now don't even, you know, go vote, big deal, my vote doesn't count. And then you see how these people who worked for suffrage, how much it meant to them and that it it does matter. And then uh, we have a section on World War One, World War II, and the Great Depression. And then the last section is continuing the legacy uh, which basically you could think of it almost like a Hall of Fame. We um, are sharing all of the people that have come out of Southeast Texas where we're making a legacy uh, nationally, internationally here in our state. Philanthropists, athletes, uh, celebrities, scholars, they're all here on the wall, and you actually uh, will have an opportunity to suggest someone that you think should make it onto the wall. If there's somebody who's made a difference in Southeast Texas that you think should be be up here, you can let us know and come back and, and see, see if they're here on the wall.
0: Okay, wonderful. And if somebody just wants to come visit or they want to do some research, where are you located? What's the best way to contact you?
1: We are located in Liberty, which is about halfway between Beaumont and Houston on Highway 90. You would go just north of town. We're on Farm to Market Road, 1011, uh, 650 Farm to Market Road, 1011 to be exact. Uh, You can call us, 936-336-8821. You do need to call ahead of time to take a tour of the buildings you do not have to call ahead of time to do research but we do encourage people if you know what subject you'd like to research uh, to give us a call so that we can kind of give you an idea of what we have so you know how long you might be here and we can go ahead and begin pulling those items for you mm-hmm. uh, to save you some time people are also encouraged to just drop by you know you may not be able to get inside the historic buildings but you can walk up to them outside we We have brochures that'll tell you about them. And we're always willing to just pull anything because somebody just just wants to see it. You don't have to be writing a book on Southeast Texas history. All you have to do is want to see something that we have uh, and you can see it and you can touch it right here.
0: This is a wonderful resource for all of the citizens of Southeast Texas. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much. Thanks to our guest for this episode, Elena Inman. The Sam Houston Regional Library and Research Center is open Tuesdays through Fridays from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can reach them by phone at 936-336-8821. And if you'd like more information about the Texas State Library and Archives Commission, you can go to their website at tsl.texas.gov. We'd also like to thank the listeners of Bayou Talks. The listenership of this podcast is steadily growing, and it encourages us to continue to add more content. Be sure to tune in to 91.3 FM, or you can also listen via our live stream from the KVLU website at kvlu.org on Sunday, October 24th at 5 p.m. Central for the next episode in this season of the Bayou Lands Radio Series. If you enjoy the conversation shared in this podcast, please remember to share and subscribe to Bayuland's Talks wherever you find your podcasts. You can also listen on the NPR One app along with other podcast offerings from KVLU Public Radio. And join us on social media at 91.3 KVLU Public Radio on Facebook and Bayoulands on Instagram. Bayou Land's Talks is produced in the studios of 91.3 KVLU Public Radio in Beaumont, Texas, by Shannon Harris and Jason M. Miller. All advertising requests should be directed to me, Shannon Harris, at 409-880-8165 or by email at shannon.harris at lamar.edu. Thanks for listening.